Thank you, Deb. Great thought. Great job. And uh, it's always the Spirit of God that moves in truth, that moves our heart. That was a blessing to me. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Matthew 16. I uh, know my intention is to always believe in Him. I uh, have seen so many people fall by the wayside over the years. I really just don't want to be one of them. And uh, Matthew chapter 16. We are on Sunday nights working through a series on uh, Bible doctrine, just simply setting out there what our church uh, teaches, what we believe, and why we do so. Beginner, believers need to begin their Christian walk by learning what the Bible teaches to be sound doctrine. And then if you want to become wiser and more mature as a believer, you also learn why the Bible teaches what it teaches, why you believe what you believe. And when we understand what we believe and why we believe it, it keeps everything in focus. We know what things uh, we do here at Bible Baptist Church because they are Bible doctrine. We know what things we do here because historic biblical Christians have done things. We know what we do here that are just a, a habit or a manner in which Bible Baptist Church does things, and it is people having those things out of order, people uh, treating things like they were just uh, cultural that are biblical, that has hurt much of Christianity today, and it's also been hurt in the other direction by people taking things that are really just their opinion or uh, their practice or their manner and treating them like key Bible doctrines, and I want us here to have more wisdom and knowledge than that. I think it makes us a stronger body of Christ. Last Sunday night, we answered the question, what is biblical baptism? And we were reminded first and foremost that baptism has nothing to do with having eternal life. And by the way, we rejoiced that that was the case. Because by and large, believers across the globe uh, do not have biblical baptism. Thank God, salvation is by grace through faith and has nothing to do with baptism. We learn that biblical baptism is an act of obedience to Christ. We learn that biblical baptism, it follows the example of Jesus who was baptized by immersion to identify with John the Baptist and the message that John preached. We learn that biblical baptism is by immersion. In fact, the word baptize literally means to immerse or submerge. We learn that biblical baptism is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ uh, that a believer chooses after personally professing their faith in Jesus as Savior and the Son of God. Sprinkling infants is not biblical baptism. People, being, people having an immersion as a part of their salvation is not biblical baptism. Uh, immersion before calling on Jesus to save you is not Bible baptism. And though the doctrine of baptism doesn't have anything directly to do with the gospel per se or our salvation, it is a key Bible doctrine and it is certainly one of the doctrines our forefathers emphasized and a doctrine on which they stood and often suffered. Now tonight's subject, uh, like the doctrine of baptism, is an issue where much of Christendom gets its view from someplace other than the Bible. 
There's no lack of opinions out there and beliefs about the church. And not only are many of these opinions out there contrary to one another, they're also contrary to the Scripture. Let me ask you a question. How would you answer the question, what is a biblical church? If I had passed out uh, pieces of paper and you grabbed the little pen in the holder that's sitting ahead of you and said, write down on this piece of paper, what, a bib- what is a biblical church? What would you write? See, there are some who teach the church as all believers everywhere. Others teach that the church is a local assembly of believers with a pastor leading them. Some teach that a certain denomination is the church and other denominations are not legitimate churches. Some teach the church isn't a denomination at all. In fact, they would say denominations are bad. Uh, Some say the church is a special building that's sacred. Others teach that buildings are bad and you need to meet in a house. Some say the church is any place where two or three people are gathered in Christ's name. Others would say, nah, church is more than that. I've even heard people say that individuals are the church. They would say to people who came to the church, they would say, hey listen, when you leave here, you're the church. Is that even true? By the way, it feels real good to have someone say to me, hey, when I leave here, I'm in the church. That feels good, but is it accurate? Now, I imagine most of you have heard those same things as well as other things, and they certainly can't all be right. Am I the church? Is this really my church? What does the Scripture teach about a biblical church? Remember, like all these issues, it cannot be settled unless we have a final authority from God on which to base what we teach and believe. Unfortunately, most people's opinions on this issue, like a couple of others, are based on the way they were raised or on what sounds or feels good to them. Did you know the church doesn't really belong to us? Did you know you and I don't really get to decide what the church is or is not? Now we use the expression, my church, and I do that too, and and it's certainly okay. Uh, But did you know that calling Bible Baptist Church our church isn't really completely accurate and it easily gets us out of focus? You see, if Bible Baptist Church is first our church, then we have a lot of say in what we should be doing. But if Bible Baptist Church is not first our church and it belongs to the Lord, then we would look somewhere else for what the church should be doing. Amen? If you're able to stand, if you would stand please tonight and honor the Word of God. Tell my thought tonight is what is a biblical church? What is a biblical church? Matthew chapter 16, beginning in 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? By the way, that's a good question. And notice in their answers, and we're not talking about this tonight, get a little insight into what Jesus was like personally. And they said, some say thou art John the Baptist, the hellfire and damnation preacher. (laughs) Some, Elias, Elijah, he was another damnation preacher. (laughs) Others, Jeremiah, he was a uh, judgment preacher who wept when he spoke. Uh, or one of the prophets. He now makes it personal. Personal. He saith unto them, Whom say ye that I am? 
Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. By the way, you ought to underline that statement in your Bible if it isn't already. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, uh, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Thank you, might be seated. This particular section of the Scripture records a key moment in the ministry and life of Jesus and His disciples. It not only in a special way reveals and brings into focus what He was like, this is the first time Jesus uses the word church and the first time it's used in the Bible. In fact, while Jesus was here, He used the word church three times and then in the book of Revelation, 19 more times. Now, if you take a Bible class on uh, Bible interpretation, one of the principles of Bible interpretation is something they call the first mention principle, and it's a general principle that basically states the first time something is mentioned first in the, in the Bible, you see that person or that subject staying about the same. Notice as we think about what he taught here about the church, notice the church was not in existence at the time yet. Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church. Future tense. See, this was a key moment because not only did Jesus introduce the church, but in verse 21 of Matthew 16, it says, from that time forth began Jesus to shew unto His disciples how He must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Not only did He begin for the first time to speak about the church, He also began at that time to speak about what was going to happen in the end of His ministry here on earth. And He was quite clear. Not only was it future tense at that time, but according to verse 18, the church will be built by Jesus Himself. He says, upon this rock, I will build My church. Uh, Jesus uses human instruments to do this. He builds His church by His Spirit through His people. Notice what the church will be built on according to verse 18. He says, upon this rock, I will build My church. The church is built upon this rock, and that rock is Peter's statement from verse 16 that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. And here Jesus uses a little bit of a play on words when He says, Thou art Peter. The name Peter means a stone. And Jesus is the rock. Jesus didn't build His church on the stone. He built it on the rock. That He is the Christ. He's the Son of God. In fact, uh, moments later after this, the stone failed the rock. Look at verse 22 of chapter 16. After Jesus said He was going to give His life and rise again from the dead, Peter took Him in verse 22, began to rebuke Him, saying, Be it far from Thee, Lord, this shall not be unto Thee. But He, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, notice how personal this is with these and thous, Get thee behind Me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto Me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Remember, in your King James Bible, pronouns that start with thee are personal, singular, Pronouns, pronouns that start with why, ye, you, and yours are plural. This was a personal rebuke of Peter. Uh, 
The stone failed the rock. Think about how silly it would be for Jesus to build His church on a human being. The church is built on the only stable and lasting foundation that Jesus Christ is the rock. He is the uh, Son of God. He is the Christ. Notice in verse 18 who the church belongs to. Upon this rock I will build my church. The church actually belongs to Jesus. Now that phrase, my church, only occurs here in the Scripture, though some form of the word church is 114 times in the New Testament. Now I wouldn't poke at you or I for calling Bible Baptist Church my church or our church because in a certain sense that's true, but in the greatest sense, this isn't our church, it's the Lord's church. But it is in our recognition of the fact that the church belongs to Jesus Christ instead of us that really settles a lot of our issues and conflicts in the church. You see, when we understand the church belongs to Jesus, we begin to change our attitude and ask, okay, what does Jesus want in His church instead of what do I want our church to do? We begin to change our attitude in how we value the church. See, if the church is my church, you know, I might decide not to value it that much because it's mine. There are a lot of things I own that I don't value. But if the church belongs to Jesus, by virtue of it being His instead of mine, we highly value the church. And though some fight and fuss among themselves about what they think their church should or shouldn't do or should or shouldn't preach, listen, uh, when we understand that the church belongs to Jesus, all those issues are settled. Notice not only does the church belong to Jesus, but according to verse 18, it should be pressing forward. He says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates don't attack. Gates are attacked. Our role as the Lord's church here is to be moving forward. We are not defeated. We are not complacent. We are not just standing back doing nothing. You and I, as a part of the Lord's church here at Bible Baptist Church, part of our job is to be moving forward and standing and fighting against the darkness of our world around us. Not only should we be moving forward, but Jesus promised that the church He builds would always exist somewhere when He says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you study church history over the centuries, many governments, religious organizations, and individuals have sought to destroy the Lord's churches. But churches have always continued somewhere, though at times it was hidden from the human pens recording history. According to the New Testament, the last days of the last days before Christ returns are not good in general for God's people and the Lord's churches. But according to Jesus, there will always be prevailing churches serving and staying true to God, a faithful remnant, and God helping us. I want us to be a part of that. This is the first time Jesus used the word, and during His ministry, He used it twice, uh, uh, two other times. If you turn up just a few pages to Matthew 18, we'll see the other two times He used it. 
So Brother Wally, this is pretty familiar territory to me. Well, it might not be that familiar to somebody else. I think our goal should never be to always hear something new. Unless you're a relatively new Christian, you know, most of the things you're going to hear you know, are just reminding you of what the Scripture teaches. Matthew chapter 18, we'll read the next two times, and the last two times he used it during his ministry, beginning in verse 15. He says, Moreover, thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen, heathen man and a publican. Notice the great advice given to us by Jesus. If we feel like we have difficulty with someone or they have offended us, we're first supposed to personally work it out with them. That's not the same as first gossiping. That's not the same as just deciding that the offender is dead to you. That's not the same as you attempting to expose and discredit someone publicly because you think they've wronged you. Uh, By the way, this order we have used several times here uh, as church leaders when we've had issues here. We will approach someone. I will approach them by myself. And if that doesn't work, I'll take one or two people with me and we approach them. And then we've had times when we brought issues and people to the church. But my point for tonight is not this method of reconciliation. My point tonight is that in Matthew 16, the church was future tense. In Matthew 18, it's present tense. By Matthew 18, it was a place where the disciples could take someone who had sinned against them and bring that issue to the church. You see, most biblical Christians, and I'm one of them, believe the church started during Jesus' ministry. In fact, I believe it started somewhere between Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. That means Jesus was the first pastor. Uh, By the way, while Jesus was alive, they were already preaching the gospel of the kingdom. When Jesus was alive, they were already baptizing those who believed His message. When Jesus was alive, they were already teaching disciples and people what Jesus taught. By the way, that's the great commission for the church. They were already doing that. And they already were collecting money, and Judas Iscariot, of all people, was the treasurer. Uh, By the way, because the church started during Jesus' ministry, it existed before Pentecost, and that's why those 3,000 people that believed Peter's message are described as, quote, being added unto them. The church did not start at Pentecost. It started between Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. The church did not begin at Pentecost. It was empowered by the Spirit of God at Pentecost, but started by Jesus Himself prior to Calvary. By the way, since the church is first the Lord's church, it just makes good sense that He was also its first pastor. It's His church. Now we've read the only three times Jesus used those words during His earthly ministry. And churches from 
the point of Christ's resurrection and onward, beginning with the one in Jerusalem, go on to become the focus of the book of Acts and the writings of Paul. And again, you say, why are you going to all this detail? Because God has placed you and I in a time and in an era when people devalue the church. People do not value the church. They don't care whether they go. They don't care whether they serve. They don't care whether they're a member. And churches fuel that bad doctrine. We live in a day and age when people who are healthy enough to assemble and healthy enough to serve and healthy enough to do something in one of the Lord's churches are perfectly content to sit on their couch at home and pretend that that's the church. It is not. Think about the focus on the church in the New Testament. Listen, when God wanted to preserve His message to believers, He had Paul write eight letters to six local churches, beginning with the one in Rome. He could have written to all believers, but He didn't. When God wanted to preserve that truth, He had Paul write a ninth letter to the churches, plural, in the region of Galatia. He could have written to all believers, but He didn't do that. He wrote to the churches. In Galatia. When God wanted to preserve New Testament truth, He had Paul write four inspired letters to three pastors of local churches. Two letters to Timothy, one to Titus, and one to a pastor named Philemon in the city of Colossae. Listen, uh, when Jesus wanted to share His message with the world in the book of Revelation, He shares it by virtue of speaking to the pastors of seven local churches. Jesus could have spoken to all believers, but instead, He addressed the pastor of seven specific churches to speak to His people. (laughs) Listen, in addition to the error of people today thinking that the church belongs to them, is this error that the church doesn't matter. If the church doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter that much if you show If the church doesn't matter, it doesn't matter much if you give to your church. If the church doesn't matter, it doesn't matter much if you serve. But if the church belongs to Christ, and it's a focus in the New Testament, it ought to be very important to us. So this basic foundation of a biblical church brings up more questions. And I I know not everyone is like this. I was one of those kids when someone would tell me something, the next word out of my mouth was why. Now, I know not everybody's like that, but I'm wired like that. And my mom's probably listening, but my mom's method of parenting was because I said so. Why? Now, now for some people, that works good. I myself function better in uh, this is why. And then if I don't do it, why? Uh, but uh, so more questions come to my mind when we think about what Jesus taught about the church and the focus on the church in the New Testament. What is the church Jesus established? It is, a, is it a denomination? By the way, that's beginning to seem unlikely because it would be impossible to bring a believer who had sinned against you to a denomination and to all believers everywhere. What is the church that Jesus established? And again, I'm going to go into more detail than some of you like, but I want our people to understand what the Scriptures teach 
about the importance of a church and what it is so that you and I can have a correct view at a time when this doctrine is ignored. Listen, by and large, Christians in America follow national Christian ministries. They read national blogs and nationally published books by Christian authors. They listen to podcasts by national Christian preachers and teachers, and they've wrongly convinced themselves that they can worship God just fine from their couch. And these churchless, pastorless sheep become much easier prey to wolves who are seeking to devour them and their families. And by the way, let me just say it very clear to to you right now, tonight. Uh, If you are trained and brought up in a church like this where you're taught the Scriptures, you know what? You probably, if you stop going here, you probably won't mess your life up that bad, though you might. Uh, But you will really hurt your kids. Because children getting all of this biblical information and Bible knowledge and Bible doctrine and practical application helps them have a foundation in their life. What is the church Jesus established and built? Go to Acts chapter 14 next, please. I know some of you don't care about this stuff. But there's a reason that we are told to give attendance to doctrine. Attention. There's a reason we're warned that in the latter days some would depart from the faith. There's a reason we're specifically told to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. What is the church Jesus established and builds? Number one, a church that Jesus founded and builds has a biblical leader. It has a biblical leader. Acts chapter 14 says, And when they, that's Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, to Antioch. They're just retracing their steps, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Notice, they ordained an elder in every church. Every church has a spiritual leader. Go in your Bible to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. By the way, at that time, there was one church in each city. And when they planted one, they'd move on to the next city. It would take them a while to have more than one in a city. And for that one to have them not get along enough to split into two. Notice in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I appointed thee. Every church was supposed to have an elder. Now tonight, I'm not going to spend any time on the term Elder, we will do that later in this series uh, because we will talk about how the Lord's churches are supposed to be governed and deal with the details of that. All I want to point out tonight is that every biblical church had a leader. One of the titles for that leader at times is elder, other times it's bishop, and one time in the scripture it's called a pastor. 
a biblical church has a biblical leader. And an organization without a, a, a biblical leader is not a church. Two or three people gathered together does bring the presence of Jesus there, but it is not a church. Tonight, what I want to do, instead of focusing on how a church is structured, and we'll do that later, I want to focus more on what Jesus meant when He used the word church and promised to build it and preserve it. Which gets us to our second thing. Please go in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Remember, Jesus used the word church 22 times, three during His ministry, 19 times in the book of Revelation. It doesn't take much of a Bible study uh, to just look at those 22 references and see what Jesus meant when He used the word church. By the way, if Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church, the first place we ought to be going to have the word church defined is to the founder of the church. The church Jesus founded, number two, uh, is a local assembly of believers. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. Here Jesus says, unto the church of the, I'm I'm sorry, unto the angel of the church in Pergamos, write these things, saith he which hath the sharp sword, with two edges notice, he writes to the messenger, the angel of the church, singular. The church in Pergamos, not the part of the church. There was a church in Pergamos that had a spiritual leader, a messenger, an angel. Verse 13, I know thy works, where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Thou holdest fast my name, hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee. What's Jesus got against that church? Because thou hast there them hold the doctrine of Balaam. By the way, does Jesus care about doctrine? Yeah, he... He says, listen, i got some things against you, starting with the fact you got some people that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Let me ask you, does, are there some doctrines that Jesus hates? By the way, I didn't say that. He did. I'm not here tonight to talk about the doctrine of Belain or the Nicolaitans. I'm here to tell you doctrine matters. Notice he goes on then to say in verse 16, Repent, or else I'll come to thee quickly, will fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, plural. Him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. With each of the seven churches Jesus addresses in Revelation, He begins by speaking to that assembly of believers through a singular leader. To each of the seven churches He addresses, He calls them a church, not a part of the church. In fact, He, and we saw that in verse 17, exhorts believers to hear what He has said to the churches. Because Jesus speaks to His people through His churches. There were more churches than the one in Pergamos. There are seven mentioned there. In fact, when you and I read the book of Romans or read the book of Philippians or read the book of Colossians, all we're doing is listening to what Christ said to His churches. And we're listening and learning from what He said to His churches. And in Revelation 2 and 3, He's doing the same thing as He does throughout the rest of the New Testament. 
By the way, spiritual leaders who try to tell us doctrine doesn't matter, they didn't get that idea from the New Testament. A church is not a denomination of any sort or all believers everywhere. It is a local assembly of believers. Now, one time in the Bible, the Bible does refer to the building where we assemble as a church. But a biblical church, first and foremost, most clearly in the New Testament, is a local assembly of believers with a biblical leader. If an organization does not have a biblical leader, it's not a biblical church. If an organization does not, is not an assembly of believers, it's not a biblical church. All believers everywhere do not assemble anywhere yet, so they are not now the church. In fact, the word, just like the word baptism, the word translated as baptism means immerse. The word translated as church means assembly. Everything we see in the Scripture clearly confirms this definition of a church. Again, Jesus used the word 22 times. Twelve of them were plural churches. Seven of them were a specific assembly. The church in Ephesus, the church in Pergamos, the church in Thyatira, the church in Laodicea, blah, blah, blah. Two times it was a place where you could take a believer where you were having conflict. That's 21 of those 22 times. If that's the case with 21 times, what do you suppose Jesus meant when he said, upon this rock I will build my church? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's speaking about an assembly of his people. Now, there are several practical reasons why this doctrine is ignored. Practical reasons and a prophetic reason. The prophetic reason why this doctrine is ignored is the world is being prepared for a one world religion headed up by the false prophet who is the right hand man of the Antichrist. And so, if all of Christendom is being pushed into one pile, uh, when all true believers are removed from all these churches, then it becomes much easier for the false prophet to mislead that organization under the same umbrella. That's a prophetic reason why this doctrine is ignored. The practical reason this doctrine is ignored is money. Listen, if you sit at home on your couch and you consider uh, Charles Stanley or uh, any of these other people that are preaching the Bible, if you consider them your pastor and you consider that your church, do you know what you do? You don't send your money to your, your, your church. You send your money to them. Listen, you think those guys are going to preach what I'm talking about tonight? Do you, uh, I have heard of a few, but most national ministries, anybody writing books, anybody doing blogs, anybody putting out Christian videos, anybody doing all this ministry, listen, they want your money. They don't want you to give the money where somebody might minister to you. This doctrine, for practical reasons, will always be ignored by what I would call the mainstream Christian leaders. I do believe there are many unnecessary divisions among Christians, but I also believe there are some divisions in Christendom that are good and need to remain intact because there can be no true unity without a foundation in truth. Go in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. 
a church is a called out assembly of believers, or somebody, some people would say a called out, baptized assembly of, of believers, and I wouldn't take any issue with, with either one. But because a church is an assembly of believers, all believers will not be the church until we assemble in heaven. Notice in Hebrews 12, it talks about that time in verse 22. Hebrews 12, 22. It says, But ye are come unto Mount Sion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Notice the scene. Heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable company of angels. What's there? Verse 23. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abram. Abram uh, than that of Abram. What's in heaven? God, angels, the blood of Christ, Christ Himself. And then when all believers are finally assembled together, then and only then will all believers be the church. There are a lot of things that are going to be make heaven great. But one of the things that will make heaven great is that all believers will finally be together on everything. Listen, all genuine believers, we are linked together because of the Holy Spirit lives in every genuine believer. But we're not called a church until believers assemble together in heaven. All true believers are linked together by our salvation, through, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. But we are not called a church until all believers assemble together in heaven. Listen, it sounds so good. There's not a sensible person that doesn't wish that all true Christians got along well. If you don't care that um, Christians sometimes don't get along well, I don't understand you. I wish we all got along well. But the fact of the matter is, is that each assembly of believers with a biblical leader is a church. There are therefore many churches, and all believers will not be the church until we assemble together. And since Acts chapter 8, with the persecution that rose with Stephen's death and stoning, all believers have never assembled together. Not until we're with Christ. Now I know from a human perspective, you say if there were just one church, and that central organization kept everybody in line and told everybody what to do and, and all that, it would, efficient, it would be so much more efficient financially and it would be so much more efficient in the uh, conveying of truth. Yeah, that's true, but it's not what Jesus did. And if you begin to study history, one of the things you learn that whenever a church or a group of churches gets a strong central organization, when that central organization becomes corrupt, then all those churches become corrupt. And if you don't believe that, check out Rome. Listen, in New Testament days, the church in Rome was a local assembly of believers. Nothing at all like it's been for the last 1,500 years. You see, each local assembly being a church allows each local church to have its own personality and focus. Bible churches should have the same basic key doctrines. But each church has a personality. And that personality is linked 
Not just simply to the pastor, but to the key people and key influencers are in the church. Have you ever just come to recognize that people are quirky? All people. And I know you say, Christian people are especially quirky. The gospel light attracts a lot of strange bugs. I know that. We are particularly quirky. But, but here's the thing. Some people's quirks drive me nuts and I don't want to be around them. And other people's quirks, I kind of like them. And what God did is He recognized the fact that since He didn't make any two retinas or any two fingerprints or any two snowflakes or any two people the same, that if He was going to reach a lot of people, He needed many different churches who all had the same Bible doctrine with a peculiar set of quirks that appealed to some people but not to others. I have people all the time who come there, come here and I just simply tell them this, hey listen, Bible Baptist Church is not the only biblical church around. You need to find the one where Christ wants you and get yourself plugged in and committed there. Christ wants churches to have their own personality, unique areas of focus. Listen, it's okay. A church can be a biblical church and not have a bus ministry like we do. A church can be a biblical church and not have a divorce care or athletic ministries like we do. Now, you can't be a New Testament church and not have the Great Commission. You can't be a New Testament church led by a group of equal elders. Hey, so I don't like that. Well, listen, those groups that are led by committees, they don't like it either. That's why they don't do it. Listen, the city of Ephesus, the church in Ephesus was a huge church. And in Acts chapter 20, Jesus called their, Jesus, Paul called their staff together. They had multiple elders leading them. But yet when Jesus addressed the church in Ephesus, he said unto the angel, the leader of the church of, uh, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? There was one guy. By the way, Bible Baptist Church, we have our own quirks. Uh, listen, I, I get it. I, I, I love preachers, but I will tell you this about preachers. We're quirky people. It's just God has some people who He's going to attract to my quirks and Joe's quirks and Josh's quirks and the quirks of our key people here. And that's okay. What no one has a right to do is change doctrine. Now, I know what I've taught you tonight is pretty much contrary to about everything going on. One church. Yeah, when we assemble together in heaven. Today, many churches. God helping us. We will be a part of the faithful remnant of faithful churches in a dark day. Amen. You'd quietly stand.